Good morning. Like Ben said, the scripture reading is going to be from 2 Timothy 2, verses 8 through 13. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is the very word of God. Well, in about 13 hours, the year 2024 will have arrived for us here in the central time zone. So will you stay up tonight and mark the occasion? I have to tell you, I kind of like New Year's Day, even though I don't usually stay up for it anymore. As a kid, I remember the sense of excitement as I watched, uh, saw my digital watch give up the four digits, one, two, three, one, for those refreshing two digits, one, one. It's an arbitrary way of marking time, and in so many ways, tomorrow morning will be just like this morning. But let's remember, it is God who made the moon to mark the seasons, the psalmist reminds us. In the creation story, God made distinctions between day and night so that we would be able to count the days and the years. It seems like God likes New Year's Day as well and thinks it good that we tell time. God, whose mercies are new every morning, delights to give us occasions to start over to begin again, to make a fresh start. But how shall we do it? I like what Paul tells his protege, Timothy, in this passage this morning. Remember Jesus Christ. That's where we must start. As we enter into a new year together, we should, of course, remember that we are Christians. We are Jesus people. And as we enter this new year, Let us remember Jesus Christ by remembering, first, his everlasting kingdom, second, his unstoppable word, and third, his faithful promise. Remember Jesus by remembering his everlasting kingdom, his unstoppable word, and his faithful promise. First, Let's remember Jesus Christ in 2024 by remembering his everlasting kingdom. Now, when Paul tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, it's not an issue here whether Timothy or any one of us might forget Jesus in the way that we might forget what you ate for dinner three weeks ago. The issue is whether we remember Jesus Christ in the sense that we would uh, remember to apply Jesus and apply the realities about Jesus to every element of our life. 
Like many of you, perhaps, I've got a few different credit cards because certain credit cards give me more rewards if I use them at certain places. Sometimes I forget, though, to use the right credit card in the right place. The question for all of us as Jesus people is, do we understand, do we know the power of Christ and his kingdom? Do we even know the value of Jesus Christ applied to all of the realities of life? And I mean all of them. Everything you can think about that is real about your days, real about your life, do we know the value of Jesus Christ applied to each one of those? Do we know how Jesus Christ applies to marriage and to parenting, to family and friendships, to work and to play, to religion as well as to politics? Do we know that we ought to remember Jesus Christ when it comes to our daily routines, to the news and realities that confront us as we carry out those routines? I'm afraid that many Christians don't or that we have indeed forgotten. Say Jesus Christ and we are immediately taken to a particular segment of life, the area that many loosely call religion. Or, of course, we might sense that someone is simply uttering the name as a swear word. We are either soon annoyed that someone keeps going on and on about religious stuff, always trying to turn a conversation into heavenly things, or offended that someone keeps urging the, uh, using the name of our God as a curse word. In remembering Jesus Christ, Paul doesn't expect us to be either annoying or offensive. But still, we must remember Jesus Christ because something about him has enormous implications for absolutely everything about our lives and about this world in which we live them. What is that something? Well, Paul mentions two things here that inform us. First, Jesus Christ applies to all of life because he is risen from the dead. Now, behind that claim, central, of course, to the Christian faith, lies an entire worldview. It is because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead that the Christian cannot help but see everything in a new light. The claim of Easter Sunday is that what happened to Jesus on that day, listen, is unlike anything that has happened to anyone else before or since. In saying that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, we do not mean that Jesus had a near-death experience or even that he, okay, fine, he did die, but then like so many others that we find in the Bible, miraculously came back to life. And we certainly do not mean that he was spiritually raised from the dead so that Easter means, well, there really is some sort of conscious life after death. No, resurrection means something entirely different. Resurrection means not that Jesus came back to life after death, but that he had passed all the way through death and came out on the other side. He was now alive in a way that challenges everything that we've ever known before. Alive in a real body. Remember what Jesus said, touch me, feel me. 
A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like you see that I have. This was a resurrection that means and can only mean one thing. It was a life now that had overcome death, conquered death, immortal, a real body unable to die again. Remember that, Christian. Because it means, among many other things, not simply that there is some sort of conscious life after death that you have to look forward to when you die while your body is decomposing in the grave. I don't mean to be too morbid, but that's what many Christians think resurrection means. No, it means something else. It means that there is a life in your body and in this world, but with both entirely transformed. A new creation, but with undeniable connections to the one that we live in now. And the implications for this are profound, but at the very least, we should remember this. Our hope as Christians does not lie somewhere else, and that death is not the key to getting there. Rather, our hope is for the very same world that we live in now, and resurrection is the key to getting there. And since Jesus Christ has already been raised, remember this, that he is already living in that reality. So he is the key to getting there. There's a second thing here that Paul reminds us. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, but also that he is the offspring of David. It was not just anyone who was raised from the dead. That would be spectacular enough but it was Jesus who is the fulfillment of God's promise and his people's expectations. So when we remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, we anchor ourselves to the sure foundation of the faithfulness of the creator God to bring salvation, not just to us individually, but to the whole world. This is why he applies to all of life. This is why you must remember Jesus Christ in every scenario because Jesus is the savior of the world. He is the savior of all that God has made. When we remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, what might be the outcome? What might be the result? Again, I'm sure there are many things to say here, but here's one thing that I would suggest to us as we are knocking on the door of a new year. Remembering Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, would lead us to a healthy, fresh imagination. An imagination freshly applied to every area of life. The reason why... What we do every day matters is because what we do in Christ is meant to last forever. In our benediction this month, get one more time to do it, the end of this service, we've been reminded that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Have you thought about what that means? 
It's only true, coming as it does at the end of the great resurrection passage in 1 Corinthians 15, it's only true because Christ is risen from the dead. United to him, even the ordinary things you do, Christian, day after day, is infused with extraordinary significance. If only we could remember that. We live and work for Christ and for his kingdom, which will have no end. He's resurrected, he's immortal, and he's the offspring of David. He's reigning and ruling the everlasting kingdom. So as Christians, we need to stop believing that the world God made and our place in it is all just going to burn up one day. Listen, that would mean that you truly do labor in vain. What is going to burn up, Paul tells us, is our labor that is built on any other foundation than Christ. But built on him, your labor is not in vain. It is sure to last. So what are you looking forward to in the new year? What are your goals and aspirations? Have you made your resolutions? (laughs) The Christian is encouraged to have them. But make your plans, make your goals, make your resolutions on this foundation. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, Why labor for a kingdom that cannot last when Christ has inaugurated the promised eternal kingdom? Now, the second thing that we must remember about Jesus Christ as we enter in this new year together is his unstoppable word. Look at verse nine, where Paul reminds Timothy that the word of God is not bound. We need to remember this because it certainly might appear at times, doesn't it? Like, it just isn't true. If Jesus Christ is risen and risen to reign as the world's forever king, why is it then that so many of his people have been persecuted for believing it and proclaiming it? Paul, in fact, is referring here in this passage, as you see, to his own experience, both in the past as well as at this very moment in which he writes these words. At the time of his writing 2 Timothy, he was literally bound with chains like a criminal. Living in a prison, much worse, if you can believe it, than our own county jail. But Paul did not see any incongruities to his present circumstance and the Christ he preached in his gospel. Christ was risen. Christ was reigning. And Paul was suffering like a criminal for believing it and preaching it. And Paul says, yep, just as I expect. Why? How do these things go together? Well, on the one hand, it's because this belief And certainly the proclamation of this belief that Jesus Christ is risen and reigning is a direct threat to every would-be sovereign, to every idol or so-called God, to anyone or anything that demands from you total allegiance. This is why Christianity was seen as a threat to the Roman Empire 
say the words, Jesus is Lord, and that is a direct threat and denial to the claim that Caesar is Lord. It's an act of treason, or at least an act of subversion. The early Christians gathered something similar like we did, said words something similar to we do, and it was considered treasonous, subversive. So you can bind up Christians with chains, but remember this, Paul says, the word of God is not bound and never can be. The word of God here is synonymous with the gospel that Paul preached. That is, the word of God is the declaration. It's the announcement. It's the proclamation that Jesus is risen. Jesus is reigning. It's not just the declaration, but all the implications that come from a declaration like this. It's an unstoppable force because it's built on the undeniable reality, the historical facts, the evidence that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth, sent from heaven, as we saw last Sunday. One can deny it all they want. One can try to ignore it, suppress it even, but the hope springs eternal like the green grass of spring after a winter chill. When God inaugurated his kingdom in Jesus, he did so with the unstoppable force of a hurricane sweeping over a coastal town. Resist it all you want. Flee from it, you must. But one thing you can't do is stop it. The kingdom of God, which advances through the simple proclamation, Jesus is Lord, is a hurricane-like force, a power which advances according to God's promise. The word of the Lord, he says, will never return void, ineffective. It marches on and on and on with or without us. Of course, for Paul, he would rather go with it. So in verse 10, he says, this fact that the word of God cannot be bound is the reason that he is willing to suffer everything, he says. This is why, this is the reason I suffer everything, all for the sake of the elect. Because when Paul kept everything in mind, when he remembered Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, when he kept it all in mind, he came to the conclusion that whatever suffering comes, whatever losses may be counted, and Paul knew a few of those, it would be worth it. It would all be worth it. But as long as you and I keep Jesus Christ in this segment, this category called religion, we will be tempted to believe that, well, we can have that, and then we can go along and have everything else as well. We can have Jesus, and at the same time, spend our days ruthlessly chasing the gods of money and power. And by the way, there is a devilish attraction to this picture of salvation that deceives plenty of churches into playing that game. Let's not play that game. Paul sees it a different way. He sees that his own suffering for Christ and his kingdom will actually better serve the cause of all God's people obtaining the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. 
So here's how Paul put it together. Look, first, remember Jesus Christ is to remember a powerful word that can never be stopped. Jesus is Lord. Jesus reigns. All other powers have been put on notice. This then means that we who name the name of Jesus must remain faithful to him. And we must follow in his way no matter what it costs us. No matter what it costs us. In fact, whatever it does end up costing us in the end will be a much better way. It will be the way of salvation, not only for ourselves, but also for everyone else too. So remember Jesus Christ, resurrected, reigning. Remember Jesus Christ and his word that cannot be bound. It cannot be stopped. And finally, we look at verses 11 to 13 where we find what Paul calls a trustworthy saying. He has a few of these that he speaks about throughout First and Second Timothy. Whenever we see a faithful saying in these two books, it appears to be something like an early Christian hymn. Something that was already quite familiar to the first believers. I, I don't know. Say the words, amazing grace. And you probably know what you're going to say next. These, these are something that has just be kind of become known among all the believers. Something that Paul can present here as a way of reminding the early Christians and reminding us of something that is applicable to all Christian life and experience. <laughs> no matter what situation you encounter another brother or sister in, here's a hymn you can go to. Here's a liturgy you can pronounce. This trustworthy saying urges us to remember Christ and his faithful promise. So first he says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. The dying with Christ that Paul is referencing here is a reality that Jesus himself declared. You want to be a Christian? If you believe in Jesus and believe that he is, in fact, the true Lord of the world, then Jesus says, you must pick up a cross and follow him. There's no other way. This is Christianity 101. You want to follow Jesus? You believe he is who he says he is? And pick up your cross and follow. If for Jesus, the only way to victory was through the cross of Calvary, then so also it is for us. Remember, Jesus is the way. So to follow him means we go the way he goes. There could be no doubt that for Paul, he had in mind the very real possibility of martyrdom. It could cost you your life. But there are other realities of dying with Christ too. In fact, Paul says elsewhere that he dies daily. Every day he dies, 1 Corinthians 15, 31. And 
Christian baptism, by the way, have you been baptized? Paul tells us in Romans 6 means that when you were baptized, you were baptized into his death. So to be a Christian then means that we are indelibly marked by the cross of Jesus Christ. This is why, in case you've wondered, it is ancient Christian practice, most of us probably don't do it, to mark oneself with the sign of a cross. The whole point of that was to remind yourself, remember Jesus Christ, remind that you are baptized and central to the whole Christian faith is the readiness to suffer loss for the sake of Christ. Now, how might that Christian essential inform the way that you live your life tomorrow when you wake up and your digital watch has turned to 1-1? Especially for us who live in a prosperous society, the impulse to accept loss, to not promote one's own self, is about as countercultural as you can get. But for the Christian, the confidence is that in our dying with Christ, we know what he says here that we will also live with him. This is not only, by the way, true in the ultimate future. Again, we are reminded of our baptism. If, Paul says, we are united to Christ in his death, then don't you know what that means, Christian? I mean, I've seen a few baptisms, and usually you just don't stay under the water. (laughs) You come back up. If you've been united to him in a death like his, Paul says, then you are also united to him in a resurrection like his. The promised future has been brought forward into the present so that the Christian is called to live in a newness of life now that anticipates the reality of a life awaiting us in the resurrection. Romans 6.4 says it this way, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death so that... Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So this ancient Christian hymn is urging us to hold the entire scope of all Christian hope in hand. Can you do it? Can you hold it all together? Day by day, we die with Christ so that day by day, we live with him. We die and we rise day by day by day. He says here also similarly, we endure, if we endure, we will also reign with him. This isn't just some sort of mere existence. This is a royal existence, a reigning with Christ. Remember this. The risen Jesus is very much alive ascended to the right hand of the Father. He rules and he reigns over his world. How? How does he do it? This is going to surprise some of you. He does it through his people who follow in his way. 
you didn't hear that. So I'll say it again. How does the very much alive, risen, and ascended to the Father's right hand, Jesus, how does he rule and reign over his world? Answer, through his people who follow in his way. Don't you know, Paul says, he asks the Corinthian church, that the saints will judge the world? He even goes on to say, don't you know that you're going to adjudicate over the angels? Do you know who you are? Dying with Christ, raised with Christ, you are meant to reign with Christ. Yes, that will be gloriously true in the future, but the future has already broken in. So Paul makes the argument, that being the case, we ought to be able to make good judgments in matters pertaining to this life. It's 1 Corinthians 6, read it, verses 2 and 3. This is what we will be so already united to Christ, begin to live like it now. Again, the promised future is brought forward into the present. We will reign with him in a glorious day to come. But since we are united to Christ now, there is a very real sense. Do you know how to apply it? In which we are already reigning with him now. Every time we endure hardship, whatever kind it might be, and continue following Christ, we extend his rule over every danger that would threaten his reign. Every time we suffer loss and go on living for Christ, we prove to the gods of this world that there is a better king and that we are a part of his royal priesthood. And every time you refuse to bow the knee to money or to power, to comfort or to pleasure, you prove that there is a better way to be human that delivers the true riches. Now, at the end of verse 12, we are told this. If we deny him, he also will deny us. It's the opposite of what was just said in verse 12 earlier. If we don't endure, we won't reign with him. If we decide that we would rather be friends with the gods of the world and what they offer to us, we will not have Christ and what he offers to us. You cannot serve two masters. Now, brothers and sisters, you should see by now, you should sense by now, that there is a lot that is expected of us who follow Jesus Christ. And for some of you, that's overwhelming. You know yourself pretty well. You made those New Year's resolutions last year. Didn't get very far, did you? <laughs> so what happens if we fail? God wants to extend his kingdom reign, the kingdom reign of his resurrected son through us in the year of our Lord, 2024. That's amazing. What a great privilege for all of you, for all of us. 
I can't even get to the gym the first week of my resolution, right? How am I going to do this? Well, look what it says. The hymn ends with this word of assurance. Don't you always like the fourth verse of the hymns? (laughs) If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now, it is one thing, as verse 12 alludes to, to deny Christ, to just say, I'm done, I renounce him, I'm not a Christian anymore. Deny him, and he will deny us. But it is a reality for most Christians. I had all Christians written down, and I was like, well, okay, most Christians. It is a reality for most Christians that we find ourselves faithless, unbelieving at an alarming rate. If God intends to extend the rule and reign of Christ through us who follow him, how in the world will his kingdom endure when so many of us find ourselves unbelieving way too many times? Can you hold all this together, Christian? Don't you see the point that's being made here? While you are significant and while you matter, more than you could possibly know. This is not a kingdom that ultimately depends on you and your faithfulness. It depends on Christ and his faithfulness. Now, isn't that good news for a new year? Then don't forget it. Don't forget it. Remember Jesus Christ, his kingdom that will never end, his word that cannot be stopped, and his promise based on his own faithfulness, and all will be well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I feel a lot of anticipation for 2024. I feel it personally because there's a lot of expectations I have. I feel it for us as a church. It feels like God is up to something. We're still waiting to see what that is. But we've lived long enough to know that the year ahead of us will also be filled with a lot of disappointments. Things will not go the way we hoped or anticipated. (laughs) The biggest disappointment will be that we will not stay true to everything that we ourselves promised or wanted. So what do we do? Remember Jesus Christ. We, by your grace, have been brought into an eternal kingdom, made citizens, royal priesthood, the scripture says, 
we have work to do and that work in the Lord will never be in vain. But if we fail, no, when we fail, when we're weak, when we're unbelieving, when we're full of doubts, when we're afraid, what then? Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So we look to you now on this New Year's Eve, Lord Jesus. You are our hope. You are our assurance. You are our confidence. We need you. We don't dare go into this new year without you. But remembering Jesus Christ, his eternal kingdom, his powerful, unstoppable word, his faithful promise, oh, the joys that await us in the year ahead. So keep our eyes on Jesus. That's what we need. Holy Spirit, do it now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.